You are listening to the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast, a show covering the hometown Milwaukee Brewers as we analyze the roster, report on the latest rumors, and discuss their quest to bring the World Series trophy to Milwaukee for the first time. Here are your hosts, Peter and David Goh. Hello and welcome to the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast. I am your host, Peter. David, we're here. All-Star game has come and gone. All-Star weekend has come and gone. All sorts of fun things that we'll get into. What are your thoughts on the All-Star game, that National League continuing their rough stretch? I feel like I can't remember the last time they won a game, which I'm sure isn't all that long ago. But American League continue on their hot streak, taking the All-Star game. David, I know you had a chance to watch that. What were your thoughts on the All-Star game part of the, the weekend that we just went through? I thought it was a great event as far as uh, the actual All-Star game went. One of the things that I really enjoyed was the miking up of players. I thought it was executed really well in terms of the players they executed in large part. I thought it was interesting like having some of the pitchers miked up. They tried having the pitcher and catcher miked up, so Nestor Cortez was calling his own pitches on the live broadcast to his catcher. That was kind of fun. Alec Manoa was asking the announcers what his velo was at because he, he was disappointed when he only hit 94. So he tried to gas him up, and then two pitches later hit 95. So things like that were I thought were, were cool, and they had players talking in the game. Like they, had, they asked Garrett Cole about Aaron Judge and then gave Aaron Judge um, a, an earpiece so that Judge could hear what Garrett Cole was saying about himself while he was hitting. So that was pretty funny. I, I thought things like that, they did really well. They also did a good job of making it an entertainment product overall. I thought it was enjoyable um, and and overall was good. Uh, there are some things that I would improve about the weekend itself, but I thought the All-Star game was a great event. Yeah, I, I got a chance to watch the Home Run Derby. Julio Rodriguez, obviously, if you saw that, you know that he stole the show he was outstanding. That was a lot of fun. I, him playing in Seattle, of course, being a 21-year-old rookie and playing in Seattle, I haven't really had a chance to see him and his tools, but that was fun to see. Um, super, super sweet stroke of, of a swing, really short and compact. Um, I, I was obviously rooting for him. I think all of us were because you always. it seems like half the time the home run derby ends like that where one guy clearly wins the day, but someone else wins the actual derby. I think back to Josh Hamilton's iconic performance at Yankee Stadium. I believe it was 2008 where he did that. I know he hit, I think he had 28 home runs in one session. Very different uh, setup than than the way it's set up now. But I know he absolutely stole the show that day and, and didn't end up winning the home run derby. Kind of felt the same way. Uh, props to Juan Soto, of course, for winning it. But I didn't really feel like he actually was all that impressive. He didn't really have a great round. I think he was just consistently very good. And that's what got it him the, the the championship of course albert pujols was fun to see him win a series or win uh, a competition i should say against schwarber um and have someone twice as old as julio rodriguez in the same competition so enjoyed uh, that was a good a good home run derby kind of like the the dunk contest in the nba some years it's really good some years it's just okay and that actually ties into our trivia question we've got two trivia questions in honor of the all-star game that we just uh, witnessed an all-star game festivities along with it first david can you name the only brewers player to win the home run derby that's our first trivia question of the game i think this is probably an easy one for you david so why don't we just do this one right at the beginning and then we'll save our other one for the end of the podcast so david can you name the only brewers player to win the home run derby i believe that to be prince fielder is that correct 
That is correct. Can you name the year in which Prince Fielder won the Home Run Derby? 09. That is correct. That is correct. So uh, very impressive to put you on the spot there. The following year after Josh Hamilton's iconic 08 Home Run Derby, Prince Fielder winning the 2009 Home Run Derby and the only Brewer player to win the Home Run Derby. So there's our first trivia question of the day. Our second trivia question of the day, which we will wait until the end of the podcast for, is David, can you name the only two Brewer players to hit a home run in the All-Star game? So only two times have a Brewers player hit a home run in the All-Star game. David, can you name those two players as always? Answer to that at the end of the podcast. we got a lot to cover today, David. Uh, trade deadlines approaching. We all know that the Brewers need to make some additions. And in one position, uh, certainly that is lacking, would be the bullpen. And so, David, you've outlined nine potential options. I'll give you a hint. My favorite might be number nine uh, that we get through today. Plenty of options. I think good, good and bad, uh, ideal and realistic. Uh, so we'll be going through those nine players today as well as uh, touching a little bit more on the All-Star Weekend and some rumors around the Brewers shopping Omar Narvaez and Colton Wong, two starters who I think that would have been a pretty big surprise going into the year if you would have heard that um, mid-season. So we'll, we'll cover all that today, David. But before we get into all that, who is today's random player of the day? Today's random player of the day is Don Money. He was the first All-Star Game starter in Brewers franchise history. This was your idea, Peter, for us to do him as the random player of the day. He was a Brewers DH in 82 and played a number of years with the Brewers. He was kind of the first, I wouldn't, I would, I would stop short of saying he was a star, but the first very good player, I guess. He had that long errorless streak at third base. How good of a defender he was at third base, I'm really not sure. Um, but we do know that he didn't make a lot of errors, so that, that is one good aspect. And actually, his grandson, I believe his name is like Buddy Kennedy or something, is in the majors, or at least has been in the majors with the D-backs. Uh, and he is from Millville, New Jersey, where Mike Trout is from. And so he's got some uh, lineage. For some reason, people don't talk about him in the same way as Carl and Mike Yastrzemski, unfortunately. But still, nonetheless, kind of cool. And Don, Man Don Money overall, one of the better players in Brewers franchise history. Yeah, Buddy Kennedy. Yes, you heard that that correctly. His name is Buddy Kennedy. He uh, was a top top thirty prospect for the D-backs. Actually, had his first major league hit in June of this year. Uh, so not exactly sure the uh, where the Buddy came from, but like Don Money's grandson, Buddy Kennedy. Like you said, lineage still in the game. Um, and yeah, like you said, Don Money was a good player. I I always think of him as that defensive list or excuse me, error list streak that he had, but he was a lot more than, than just a solid defender at third base. And like you said, was a, a very good player for a Brewers era that wasn't very good uh, until, of course, 1982. So there's a random player of the day, Don Money. It's too, it's too bad that he's not Buddy Money, that he has to be Buddy Kennedy. Uh, that would be better. Also, one other random thought. We should name the random player of the day after someone, like the Joe Winklesauce random player of the day. Tim Monroe, the, uh, random player of the day? Maybe. I saw, um, I think it was Brew Crew Ball tweeted, like, name a random brewer. And there were two people that said Tim Monroe. That's solid. Yeah, it should be a Twitter, it should probably be a Twitter poll, or we'll have to we'll have to go to Twitter on that one and, and see if we can get that. I like that idea. Uh, certainly should get some naming rights on the random player of the day uh, segment. We'll have, to, we'll have to get on that. 
So David, relief targets. We all know the Brewers need to increase uh, the depth and the quality that they have at the back end of the bullpen to, of course, add on to Devin Williams, uh, Josh Hader, Brad Boxberger. Now we can throw Hobie Milner in that mix as well. So we've outlined nine potential targets. Let's start with the first one that you've got here. Daniel Bard, the 37-year-old who's really made a comeback and could be an elite reliever the Brewers could add this year as more of a partial year rental. So tell us more about Daniel Bard, why you like the thought of adding him and, and why you maybe don't like the thought of adding Daniel Bard to the Brewers this year. Yeah, Daniel Bard is a reliever for the Rockies right now. In fact, they're closer, 20 saves this year, 2.02 ERA across 35 games, having an excellent year. He's got quite the journey. Was a first rounder of the Red Sox all the way back in 2006. Um, so, was that the Jeremy Jeffress draft? Oh, I believe so. But either way, a long time ago, um, we could probably dig up some names from that draft if we had the time to. Um, but we'll get going with our, our relief pitcher targets. Um, he's 37 years old, and he hadn't spent, I think, six years in pro ball or five years in pro ball between his major league appearances in 2013 and 2020. And he got the yips, and he couldn't throw strikes. Uh, in 2012, his last regular season, or full season, 43 walks in 59 innings. But then came back in 2020 for the Rockies, had a very good year. Uh, however, you'd want to define 60-game season as a, a year. Uh, last year struggled a little bit, but they gave him another shot, and this year he's finally putting it together. So why might the Brewers be interested in him? He's a rental. He's 37 years old. Has a little, overall, I would say pretty little of a track record. Uh, so the, the cost is going to be a little bit lower for those reasons, although those, those, those might be drawbacks. Uh, and it would be good to add another elite reliever. He's performing at an elite level this year. So adding someone of that caliber rather than Daniel Norris would certainly be a big boost to the bullpen. Uh, the, the only problem is that it might cost a little bit more than the average rental because of the closing experience he has and because he overall has good metrics across the board, so teams aren't overly concerned. So it might be a little bit unnecessary to pay that high of a price for a rental reliever like Daniel Bard. Well, you, you, David, you mentioned the 2006 MLB draft, so of course I couldn't help but go take a look at that while you were discussing that. It was actually a, a very iconic draft. Uh, fun fact, there were four NFL players that were drafted in that draft. There's also a guy by the name of Paul Goldschmidt, who was drafted in the 49th round, 1,453rd overall, did not sign. He was actually drafted by the Dodgers in the 06 draft. But the 06 draft included Evan Longoria, Andrew Miller, this left-handed pitcher named Clayton Kershaw, and Max Scherzer. Uh, you are correct. Jeremy Jeffress, Adam Atavino, Dellen Batansis, and another player who did not sign, Matthew Vincent Laporta. Of course, the trade piece that the Brewers used to eventually acquire the Indian. So quick side tangent there. Daniel Bard was a part of that draft, 28th overall in 2006, among many names, uh, several Hall of Famers as well. Um, but anyways, I, I will uh, stop that rabbit trail there. I think my thoughts on Daniel Bard, I, I wouldn't be against the Brewers acquiring him, but I think the price that you're going to pay for a guy like him is probably a little bit more than I think David Stern's likely. Um, I see him realistically pulling the trigger on. Like you said, there's a lot to like about Bard. But there's also several things that will also increase his price. And the Brewers don't need a closer. I'm still confident in, in Josh Hader. Even if everything 
falls apart and Josh Hader is is useless in the second half, which I highly, highly doubt. The Brewers have a very capable closer in Devin Williams. So they don't necessarily have to go off after a closer like Daniel Bard. And he's also a guy who's only going to be here for a couple months, as opposed to our number two option, who would actually be here both for the remainder of this year as well as next year. That's Michael Givens, relief pitcher of the Chicago Cubs. Besides the fact that, of course, he'd be coming from the NL Central and our rivals uh, down below us in the Cubs. Any reasons you see as to why he could be a potential target for the Brewers or why not? The Brewers like getting that control, uh, maybe a little bit less so from relievers and other positions, but of course it still matters. It'd be nice to have him for a couple of years. He's somebody that's been pretty reliable as a relief pitcher since he made his major league debut back in 2015, spent some time with Baltimore and then Colorado, Cincinnati, and now the Cubs this year. Has a 2.92 ERA across 36 games um, and has some previous closing experience. Whether that matters or not, I'm not sure because he'd be third or fourth in line in the, the line of succession for the closers role should something happen to Hayter or he keep pitching bad. Um, one thing to be concerned about is his fastball velocity is down a little bit this year. Now, he's still like been good and, and actually a little bit even better than he was in previous years. So I don't know how concerning that is, but it is something to monitor. And I'm sure something that the Brewers uh, would look at. And also, fun fact, he was actually drafted as a shortstop. Then they converted him to a pitcher. The Baltimore Orioles did in their system. Interesting. Did not did not know that about Gibbons, and could be could be a decent player uh, to add to the Brewers bullpen in Gibbons. Another option which may be familiar to many of you Brewer fans uh, for his time with the Brewers, second round draft picked by the Brewers in 2011, and now current Royals closer and one time All Star, Jorge Lopez. Pros and cons, David of the Brewers acquiring Jorge Lopez at the deadline. Yeah, he is a, a closer, actually for a different team that has not seen much success lately, and that's the Baltimore Orioles. He was traded there from the Royals re pretty recently. I think it was maybe this past offseason. But so far this year, 1.62 ERA, 17 saves in 40 games, including his first All-Star appearance, which we saw him in the game on Tuesday. I got a couple of ground balls. So why might the Brewers want to acquire him? I think there are a lot of reasons in favor of Lopez. He's very controllable through 2025. He's been really good. And this has really been his first taste of like short relief where he's able to really just go out there and let it eat. And his velo has seen a jump because of that. He's got good underlying numbers and good surface level numbers in terms of you know ERA and strikeouts, but also the movement on his pitches. Uh, the strikeout to walk ratios, those kind of things are all good. So those things are all going in favor of him. Uh, the only thing is relief pitching is kind of volatile. So with the lack of track record prior to this year, you're still taking a little bit of a risk. Uh, and also because he's a closer, there might be a little bit of a higher cost to acquire Lopez. He also perhaps is familiar with the organization, could be something that is in his favor, even if Stearns was the one who traded him. Yeah, um, and Lopez is more controllable, the most controllable player, I think, out of everybody uh, on the list, uh, or at least up there. I know he is controlled through 2025 at a, a reasonable rate. Like you said, I, I certainly see the risks of acquiring Lopez. You could be acquiring a guy who's essentially at his you know, maximum trade value 
uh, coming off an all-star appearance, like you said, checking the box on the resume of, of a current closer and being able to knock down saves. Again, something the Brewers don't really need. So I really like the option of potentially targeting non-closers because you may not be paying quite the premium because we don't need guys who can go out and get saves. We just need guys who can get outs in the seventh and eighth inning, um, either on games where Devin Williams or Brad Boxberger aren't available or we have shorter starts from um, from the Brewers starting rotation. And a player, another option the Brewers could have who's not a closer and who actually hasn't had a whole lot of success this year would be Lou Trevino. David, I've got to point this out already. You've got your comparison to Trevino as Daniel Norris, which may give uh, may haunt some Brewer fans thinking back to the trade the Brewers made last year. All, all Brewer fans. All Brewer fans, fair. So why in the world would the Brewers want a, another, another Daniel Norris at the deadline? Um, it would be because the Brewers like their prospects too much, I think would be the reason. Uh, so Trevino so far this year is 1-6 with a 6-5-9 ERA, uh, which, believe it or not, might be an upgrade over some of the, the relief options that the Brewers have been going to pretty regularly. Uh, he does have eight saves, though, so um, a good year, I guess. But why would the Brewers want Trevino? Well, he has had some success in the past as a reliever in the A's bullpen. Um, if you look at some of the past years that he's had, dating back to 2018, he's ran ERAs below four in three out of the five years, including a two years where he was very good. Last year, he had a 3.18 ERA with a decent strikeout rate. Um, his underlying numbers are pretty good. His strikeout rate is still very good. His fastball velo uh, is good. And he's really getting hit hard on his both his fastball and his sinker. But his off-speed stuff is really graded out well. So perhaps going to more off-speed could work. Also, he's a six-pitch reliever. Could, um, could kind of whittling down the the arsenal be beneficial possibly um i'm I, i'm not really sure because i'm not aware of any other six pitch relievers who have seen success taking their arsenal down to four pitches or something like i've rarely do you see a starter who has four seam sinker cutter curveball slider change up let alone a reliever um, but he's gonna probably come at a very low cost because of the year he's having and I think that's why the Brewers would be interested in him. But with an ERA over six this year, it's kind of a risky gamble to take. And we saw it backfire on the Brewers last year when they tried to do that with Daniel Norris. It seemed like, uh, I w I'm not that I necessarily would love the Brewers acquiring Trevino out of all these options, but it seems a little bit more desirable, or I'd at least be a little bit more hopeful than the Daniel Norris trade, because the Daniel Norris trade didn't seem like he had the same bullpen track record that Trevino has had of at least being a decent reliever over in the past couple of years. And you mentioned the low cost with Trevino. Hypothetically speaking, what would your estimate be as far as what the Brewers might have to part with if they did want to acquire a guy like Trevino? I would say probably someone who's on the top 30, but like not a high impact guy. Maybe someone... Um, I can't, I, like, I don't have a name that jumps out to me off the top of my head. Um, a Joe Gray Jr. or, or perhaps, uh, J Joe Gray's around 13th, uh, in the Brewers, in the perhaps. Brewers minor league system. Yeah, maybe, maybe someone like that. Um, 
Or there's always yeah. Alec Benninger and Dylan File, 22 and, 20, <laughs> 22 and 24. <laughs> they would have to be traded, both of them, together. Because <laughs> <laughs> they can't be separated when we talk about the two of them. How about how about Daniel Bard? We, we talked about how he would have a higher uh, requirement as far as what the Brewers might have to give up. So certainly more than, than just a, a Joe Gray Jr. Are we talking about the Brewers dealing some of their better-known prospects, Ethan Small, Bryce Tourang, um, even Garrett Mitchell, or what? What do you think the the Brewers would be giving up if they did seek to acquire Bard at the deadline? I think it would probably be like one of their interesting prospects. So maybe like Hedbert Perez or Freddie Zamora or Felix Valerio, plus maybe like an intriguing pitcher, maybe like Logan Henderson, Russell Smith, Abner Uribe. So maybe maybe like one of those hitters and one of those pitchers. Something like that, I think, is realistically what it would take. I could be wrong, because I don't know exactly what the market will be for relief pitching. We haven't really seen any trades yet, unlike last year. But that would that would be my guess. Okay, so how about we've got number five on the list, Steve Ciszek, a name who's been around plenty of, plenty of years as an uh, unorthodox right-handed submarine reliever. He's definitely had some track record. He had several good years as the Marlins closer, I know. And you shared that his strikeout per nine and walk per nine are both up this year. So I see a lot of reasons the Brewers could be interested in acquiring C-Sheck. Do you think that's likely that the Brewers do so? And would you be in favor of that? I think it's possible. I mean, he's someone who's pretty much always going to be on the trade market if he's not on a contending team come July. And he's pitching for the Nationals, so... Certainly non-contender. He's been okay this year, 4.05 ERA. Last year he had a 3.42 ERA across 68 innings. He's never going to be like a elite reliever really at this point in his career. But he's someone who's been pretty dependable. I think that's the biggest the biggest thing that you get from Ciszek is he's been very consistent. I think it's really unlikely that you're going to get someone who just really doesn't have it. He's a rental, so the cost is going to be pretty low. And, and actually his strikeout and walk rates are a little bit up this year. Not not hugely, but a little bit. So perhaps found something a little bit different. Um, he is much better against righty, so perhaps would limit like the versatility in terms of how you employ C-Sheck. And especially with a very right-handed heavy bullpen, that might not fit the best, especially if they don't acquire a lefty. But overall, he'd be a decent option. I'd give him the Anthony Swarzak comp kind of that veteran reliever who's fine, nothing exciting, but will will deepen the bullpen if nothing else. Yeah, I like the thought of the Brewers adding C-Sheck and then one guy with more upside. Uh, I Like I said, I, my, my favorite pitcher is the last we'll cover here on the list. I'd love to see the Brewers acquire C-Sheck um, and, that, and that player or a player who's got more upside to add a little bit more punch to the Brewers bullpen. But a guy like C-Sheck is a guy that we certainly have needed um, and we've seen Brewers give up games because of Brent Suter, you know, Yandel Gustave, other pitchers that are giving up leads or in a tie game where the Brewers are down by one and they're being taken out of game. So I, they, there's certainly a need for a consistent reliever that you can depend on um, in C-Sheck. And potentially, I don't know if you quite consider him elite, but certainly has been elite in the bullpen this year so far, is Anthony Bass. Do you think that that's the elite reliever the Brewers are looking for or not as likely um, to be the case? 
Yeah, Anthony Bass and Elite, not necessarily two things that I typically associate together. But he has had a nice run in the bullpen, and that's really culminated with his 2022 campaign. He went to Japan in 2016 and came back outside of 2017 when he was kind of regaining his footing. Since then, he's had an ERA in large part in the, the mid-threes or lower. And this year, he's taken a big step forward. one three six ERA across about 40 innings in the Marlins bullpen. He's more of a ground ball guy, um, but his strikeout rates are a little bit up. He actually started throwing a lot more sliders, kind of switched his fastball and slider usage. So instead of being about about 55% fastballs in recent years and 30% sliders, he switched that. So now he's throwing about 55% sliders, but he's had he's had good results with that. He's got the, the good underlying metrics to go with that really low ERA. So he seems like he found something in Miami. Um even though his strikeout rate is up, it's not elite. He's not going to be the guy that comes in and strikes out everyone. So he wouldn't want to necessarily be the Brewers guy to come in every time there's a jam and they need strikeouts to get out of it. Uh, but also the Marlins might want to hold on to him. They're they're getting to the point where they're starting to contend. They're not totally out of it, even though it's unlikely they make the playoffs this year. He does have a club option that's relatively affordable for next year. So perhaps the Marlins do want to... Uh, hold on to him, but I think he'd be a good target for the Brewers if the Marlins are willing to deal him. Yeah, could you see the Brewers potentially using Keston Hira in a deal there? I know that we talked about the Brewers considering trading him. Seems like the Marlins maybe it could be a potential candidate for a team that would be somewhat interested in adding a guy like Keston Hira. Like we said, change of scenery, still certainly some upside with him and try to get him some regular plate appearances. Is that a swap that you could see the Brewers potentially considering, and, and even the Marlins in that case? I think it's possible. I think the Brewers would need a little bit more than just Anthony Bass if they're going to trade Keston. Uh, not, maybe not something huge, but something to offset a little bit the upside that Keston would have going back to the Marlins. The Marlins need bats especially someone with the upside of Keston, even someone who maybe has struggled a little bit, and that change of scenery could benefit him. I think that I think that Keston would be a, a pretty good fit in Miami overall, and maybe being in a big ballpark could incentivize him even more to try to hit the gaps rather than trying to hit the ball out of the ballpark. As a, our good friend Jerry Augustine would say, hit the ball out the ballpark. Absolutely. A good swing on the ball. <laughs> you see that good breaking ball classic yeah. well Keston doesn't see that good breaking ball very well he does not he does not how about usually, Joe... usually it's, it's, it's fastball put a good swing on the ball but that's breaking true. ball bad swing on the ball absolutely Ryan Braun slider down and away classic mm-hmm. yes alright so how about Joe Mantiply I, I was talking about a guy earlier uh, in Jorge Lopez who had more control actually Joe Mantiply has an extra year of control all the way through 2026 and he has been pretty solid this year. Also a left-handed pitcher. You mentioned the Brewers, right-handed heavy in the bullpen. So certainly fits in in that regard. Why do you? What do you like about Mantibli? And, and do you see it likely the Brewers are able to bring him in before the deadline? Yeah. I. So first off, on his page, baseball reference page, it says pronounce, pronunciation, Mantipliy. Would that be Mantiply? P-L-I-Y? For pronunciation, I, I would imagine Mantiply, Joe Mantiply. 
That would be my. I I've never seen like. Yeah, I think it is. Joe, I, I don't know. Joe it seems like a little confusing. Also, it said he went to Virginia Polytechnic Institute and State University. I was like, oh, never heard of it. I wonder what that is. Turns out it's Virginia Tech. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just said in a very long-winded form. And he is also a native of Dry Fork, Virginia. So now that we know all these great things about Joe Manta, P-L-I-Y, pronunciation-wise, um, he was a first-time All-Star this year, along with Jorge Lopez. 2-2-1 ERA this year across 39 games. Doesn't have a super high strikeout rate, striking out about a batter an inning. But so far this year, he has walked just two batters in 36 innings. Uh, so that's really where, where he is uh, able to find that success um, and has been able to in the big leagues. Last year, through about 40 innings, a little bit more of a, a specialist as far as those go in the modern game. And that was kind of the first time he gained his footing in the majors. But last year, he had 17 walks in 39 innings. This year, two in 36 innings. So I kind of wonder where that came from, how he was able to uh, how was he, he was able to improve that so much. So why would the Brewers be interested in him? He's been really good. I, he's probably been the best of any of these relievers, at least among the best. He never walks, guys, which is definitely a valuable trait in a reliever. And he's very controllable. And being a lefty, the Brewers, they have Hayter, of course, as a lefty in the back end of the bullpen. But Suter is more of a low leverage lefty right now, or at least has been this year. So adding Mantiply would be nice to have a high leverage lefty that they could use in the middle middle to late innings. Why would the Brewers not want to get Mantiply? It could be too steep of a price for a reliever who's really never had that much success in the major leagues. And he's also possibly due for regression. His, his underlying metrics are pretty good still. Uh, I mean, the strikeout to walk rate is pristine, 18 to 1. Um, however, he's pitching at a level where he's never pitched anywhere close to. So perhaps he could t take a step back in the second half. And if you give up a haul, or at least a, a haul for being a reliever, you run that risk, certainly. Um, although he may be one of the higher upside arms. Yeah, and of course, lefty as well. I think that's also where a lot of value could be found, both in that he's a lefty and that he has year, several years of control. Uh, we'll see if the Brewers would be willing to part ways with some of their prospects to bring in Joe Mantiply from the University of Virginia Polytech Institute and State University. I feel like I, that's the uh, the NFL introduction. They definitely somebody has to say that full full college. All right, no, two more to go here. A perhaps familiar name, veteran reliever, uh, has been a reliever essentially his whole career. Also has the top mustache of these nine relief options here. Check out his baseball reference page. And that is Andrew Chafin. Like I said, uh, nine-year career, 3.22 career ERA. But 2021 had a, a um, sub-two ERA. 2022 um, has continued to have success with Detroit ERA sitting at 2.22. So he's been a good reliever, like I said, career 3.22 ERA. Uh, starting all the way back since 2014, but seems to have found something new in the last couple of years and could be a potential trade target for a contending team looking to add a dependable arm like Chafin. Certainly could be a good option for the Brewers or otherwise. But David, you also mentioned a couple downsides to 
a, a player who has been more dependable, some of the underlying stats that you've seen, or velocity. Why do you see the reason to believe the Brewers may not be um, looking to acquire Chafin? Yeah, he is kind of a limited ceiling in that he's not a super high strikeout guy. Uh, he's not like really going to be like that lockdown late-inning reliever. He's going to be more of the kind of right the ship in the sixth or seventh inning when uh, you get a short start or maybe you got a couple tough lefties that you need to get out. Um, so he's not going to be like the the real sexy guy to, to uh, acquire, the high strikeout guy. Um, he also, his fastball velocity has been trending downwards this year. Although what is interesting is that in April, he was averaging like 88 point something miles an hour on his fastball, which was down like three miles an hour. But now this month, it's like 92.5. So I've never really seen someone with that big of a range. Be kind of curious to see why that is. Although I'm less concerned than I would be if it was just steadily down. So it seems like it's coming back, but was down for a good amount. And like you had mentioned, 80 grade mustache. Uh, wonderful mustache and he is nicknamed the sheriff and his twitter handle is at big country 1739 so he's, he's a character definitely and would be uh somebody that i think could kind of lighten up the the brewers clubhouse maybe yeah pairs well with brandon woodruff i'd love to see a woodruff hand the ball off to the other big country in andrew chafin so we'll see if that becomes reality this year so our final player, I've mentioned and alluded to this several times, the player I'd be most excited about the Brewers adding is actually a 20, excuse me, 2013 All-Star and uh, former Giants prospect Matt Moore, who is actually signed to a minor league deal with the Texas Rangers this year. He has had really good success this year, a 1.73 ERA, another lefty option, really having a breakout year. Interesting to see the career trajectory. Like I said, he was a top prospect with the Giants had a 3.81 ERA across 177 innings in 31 starts back in 2012. 2013 had another excellent year with 27 starts and a 3.29 ERA, uh, but didn't have a uh, much of a season in 2014. And then after that, really wasn't the same pitcher. ERAs somewhere in the range of four to six, really from 2015 all the way on through 2018, and and even didn't even play in 2020. So. Uh, a little bit of a comeback. I don't know if you can quite call it a comeback, but having a breakout year, certainly, David, you, you marked down that uh, certainly reminds you of the Brewers trade for Drew Pomeranz in 2019. I could see a lot of comparisons to that. And at the same time, he doesn't necessarily have a whole lot of track record as success in the bullpen. So there is some risk to the Brewers adding Matt Moore. Are you excited as, as much as I am as the, the possibility of Matt Moore being added to the Brewers? Or do you think it's potential that uh, he had a good first half, and, and there aren't the under, underlying numbers to back his continued success. Probably not as excited as you are, but I, I do think he could be an upgrade. Um, it, it is interesting. He actually went to Japan in 2020, and so that's why he wasn't in the majors. He pitched to a 2.65 ERA and 13 starts there, so he found some success. He also is the former number one prospect in all of baseball in 2012, ranked ahead of both Mike Trout and Bryce Harper by MLB Pipeline. But it is interesting to see his newfound success in the bullpen. Um, it reminds me a little bit of Drew Pomeranz. The difference is that Matt Moore has had a full year in the bullpen. Pomeranz just had a couple weeks before the trade. Um, but 
seeing Moore have success there makes me think that he he could very well be that lockdown reliever that just needed a change into the bullpen and maybe his stuff ticked up that much that um, that he would be able to have success as a reliever. Um, I think he could be that guy that ends up being the difference maker in the middle innings, but there's more risk with it. Um, so I think the lack of track record, like really the, I mean, he hasn't been successful since like 2016. You'd run that risk, and I think he would be in high demand because multi-inning lefty, um, kind of like man's apply, um, but the upside I think with Moore is greater than almost any of the other names. Yeah, I agree. I think the it would be a pretty steep price for a guy who's going to be essentially a rental and doesn't have a whole lot of track record. Rangers obviously benefiting from that minor league deal and acquiring more. Any other team probably had a chance to acquire him and didn't do so at the start of the year. So it'll be interesting to see where he moves. I would imagine he will uh, be moved at the deadline. I would love to see him in a Brewers uniform, but there are certainly risks. I, I would love to see the Brewers, I mentioned this with Steve Ciszek, I'd love to see the Brewers add Ciszek and more, for example, in the bullpen. One guy with high upside and the other guy who's going to be, uh, you know you know what you're going to get. Or maybe an Andrew Chafin-type-esque pitcher where you know for the most part, what you're going to get. What do you think, David, is either the most likely uh, number of relievers? I, I think the Brewers do need to add more than one, but w- what do you think is most likely? And then maybe what are you also hoping for? Because we know that those things don't often align uh, when you're a Brewer fan. I think two is the most likely number of relievers that they acquire. If I were, If I had my choice of anyone, I would choose to acquire Jorge Lopez and Joe Mantiply, but I think it's very unlikely that they get both of those guys. Um, and I like them partly because they're controllable too, so the price would be higher. I think the most likely scenario is that they get Trevino and Matt Moore. I think the Brewers might be willing to buy into Matt Moore's success more than most other teams. And the Brewers have shown the willingness to acquire rental relievers, they did it with Schwarzak. They did it with Pomeranz, um, Daniel Norris, um, and Trevino with him coming off a down year or being in a down year. I think that that probably is is more likely for the Brewers to uh, kind of use that to see maybe we can get something out of Trevino. And I hope for more, but I think that's the most likely. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment of, of the Brewers' front office and what they typically do. We'll see if they make a change this year, but I, certainly some additions will need to be made. And with those additions, Brewers, of course, will be parting with likely some prospects. We've talked about Keston Hira, but two names who really haven't been in the talks until recently of uh, the Brewers shopping around are actually opening day starters. I believe both of them opening day starters, Omar Narvaez and Colton Wongs, both players that I would say the Brewers fans would have considered as the moderate contributors to the Brewers this year. And now there's reports that the Brewers could be shopping Narvaez and Wong. Narvaez, of course, the Brewers have the catching depth with Severino and Caratini and Colton Wong, who hasn't been much like himself this year. Should the Brewers really be considering trading two of our everyday starters? And do you think that the Brewers really would get better by trading those players? It's an interesting thought. I mean, first of all, it was a Bob Nightingale report, so there's like a 50% chance that it's just totally wrong. But if it is right, which we're going to assume it is, um, and, and, it, and it very well likely could. It's interesting, at least. It's, 
I think something that I wouldn't have thought of, but the Brewers like to get creative. Um, the Brewers have Caratini, who's been performing really well. Severino's back now, although he is ineligible for the playoffs. Mario Feliciano has been much better at AAA this year than he was last year. Alex Jackson, kind of that depth third catcher that comes up when injury happens. So the Brewers have maybe a little bit of an excess of catching depth. Perhaps what the Brewers could do is deal Narvaez to a contender looking for catching um, and then maybe trade Severino somewhere else and then get a backup catcher in exchange for, or as part of a package for either Narvaez or, I mean, maybe Severino, but you're probably not going to get a capable backup. If not, they could choose to roll with Feliciano or Jackson, although that wouldn't be my, my first choice, unless the Brewers do really get a good deal for Narvaez. Wong's struggling both offensively and defensively, although really more on the defensive side of things. I think you only trade him, though, if you could find an upgrade at either second or third base. You could slide Luis Urias at second or to second and then have maybe a, bring in a third baseman to play there. I think if you do that, I'm okay with it. If you don't upgrade, though, I'm not really comfortable with having Jace be an everyday player, even as good as he's been this year. I think he's better in the role of playing most days, but at various positions, filling in wherever he's needed. So I think it would create an unnecessary hole by dealing Wong. Yeah, I don't think the Brewers get better trading Wong unless, like you said, of course, they're getting an addition that's better. So... I wouldn't necessarily be in huge favor of that. Uh, the Brewers are in really an interesting spot at the catcher position, not a spot that most teams find themselves in with really three capable catchers. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. And then you've got the interesting piece that Severino can't play in the playoffs as well. So it's really a pretty unique scenario. I'll see what the Brewers uh, do with that. I think that's uh, quite intriguing to see. I'd love to see the Brewers. I honestly hadn't really thought about it until the report came out, but if the Brewers could actually get some value out of Narvaez or Severino, I actually would be in favor of that because we've got a lot of depth at a position that we don't necessarily need three solid catchers. We need one, maybe two. So if the Brewers can get better in another way by giving up one of those catchers, I would be in favor of that, uh, regardless of who that would be. I think all three are capable with Severino, of course, having the obvious issue of not being able to play at the playoffs, which does play a role when the Brewers are, of course, competing um, for hopefully the NL Central and more in the playoffs. So we'll keep tabs on that. I wouldn't be super hopeful that Brewers trade Wong, not exactly at his highest trade value either. So we'll see what uh, per, what uh, does end up happening with Narvaez, Wong, and the rest of the Brewers as we approach the trade deadline. So David, before we go, we got our first half awards here. Biggest surprise of the year. You already touched on him a little bit, but David, who's your biggest surprise of the year so far? Chase Peterson is my biggest surprise. He's played all over the diamond, played 80 games so far, and actually leads the team in baseball reference war among their position player group. He's hitting 252 this year, um, which doesn't jump out at you, but he does have a 325 on base and 439 slugging, and that was solid defense both at third base and at some other positions around the diamond. I think he's played a little bit of second, first, left, and right also. Uh, so that versatility has come in big, especially with Urias out for some time and Wong has missed some time as well. Um, he is not really someone that I expected to be a major contributor, but on-base Jace is no longer just exclusively on-base Jace. He is well-rounded Jace. 
offensive threat and potentially best offensive player, Jace. So David, your biggest surprise, Jace Peterson. My biggest surprise, I will reveal in a second here, but uh, think back to this player, 329 batting average, 429 on base percentage, 671 slugging, good for an OPS of over 1,000 in 2019 with 44 home runs and 30 steals. That would be Christian Yelich in 2019. My biggest surprise of the year is Christian Yelich and not necessarily in a positive way. I was really hopeful that 2022 was going to be the year, not that we necessarily would see 44 home runs, but maybe 25 to 30 home runs from Christian Yelich and see him look a little bit more like 2018 and 2019 uh, Christian Yelich. And we really have not. Um, 2020, 2021, 2022, really not looking all that different. Uh, the power has really gone from uh, that, that swing of Yelich. And he's not the offensive threat that he used to be for the Brewers. My biggest surprise, unfortunately, a down note, Christian Yelich and his continued, I wouldn't say decline, but continued, um, I guess, continued lack of success um, as the Brewers' offensive leader. So on that, David, on that note, who is your unsung hero for the first half 2022 Brewers? Mine would be a personal favorite of mine. That is sidearm lefty Hobie Milner. He's got a 198 ERA right now in 36 innings. And nobody really has given him a lot of credit because it's either been the negatives of Suter um, or Gustave at times or Gott blowing the game or even Hayter lately or the really good aspects of Hayter or, or Devin Williams' um, performance in the first half. And even at times, Trevor Gott as well, or Brad Boxberger. And Hobie's just kind of been there. But he's been really good. I think he's only allowed inherited runners to score in one of his appearance out of the, like, 14 times he's inherited runners. He's gotten both lefties and righties out. And he's someone that really wasn't expected to have much of an impact at all. In fact, I would have been surprised if you told me that at the All-Star break he was still on the Major League roster, let alone had an ERA under two and had had one of the best first halves out of really the whole roster. Um, and that kind of without getting much credit. So I think Hobie Milner has been, I mean, you could say he's been the biggest surprise alongside Jace, but I think even more than Jace Peterson, his performance has gone under the radar and has been really unsung, but crucial to the ball club. Yeah, it has been. It absolutely has been, uh, and very quiet. Quiet success from Hopi Milner. We'll hopefully see that continue uh, as the Brewers certainly need that help in the bullpen. Uh, my pick for the Brewers' unsung hero is Devin Williams. He certainly has had uh, plenty of recognition, so perhaps maybe not the most unsung or as much as Hopi Milner, but he, of course, has been excellent. Uh, best in the Brewers' bullpen in FIP, uh, right there in the Brewers' bullpen in whip, innings pitched, especially if you take out some of the early starts or excuse me, early appearances in the year, he's really been lights out. Uh, he has continued to have success uh, building upon, of course, his uh, breakout 2020 Rookie of the Year season, and then, of course, backing it up with 2021. So he's been excellent. So Devin Williams, my unsung hero for the Brewers this year so far. And then finally, David, who's your most valuable player not named Corbin Burns? We got a, a slight twist on the, uh, the famous... Uh, award will will stray away from Corbin Burns and his success that he's had, uh, which has been outstanding. So, David, who's your most valuable player not named Corbin Burns? Yeah, Burns is too obvious. I'm going with Devin Williams. 
Williams has a 177 ERA this year, and we were a little concerned about him at the start of the year, but he's been better than ever, really, uh, over a, a large sample size or a longer stretch of time, allowing just seven runs across 35 innings. And I think those came in three outings, and the Brewers won all of the outings that he allowed runs in. So he's been really, really good. He's been lights out in the eighth inning, and even though Hayter's endured some huge struggles lately, Williams has been the one who has kept them in the games and even gotten it to Hayter. I think shortening the games like they have with the issues they've had in the pitching staff, Williams, again, outside of Burns, has been like the, the one constant that the Brewers have had when they've needed to have the constant. I mean, I guess other than Hobie, but like he's been dominant. He's been really a top five reliever in all of baseball. And he's been coming into games and close games late in the game and really hasn't messed up this year. Yeah, he was, in my opinion, disrespected to be be added to the All-Star game so late. Like you said, he's been one of the best arms in, in the league. Uh, should have been uh, an All-Star from the get-go, but glad he was able to make a scoreless inning appearance in the All-Star game. My pick for the most valuable not-named Corbin Burns player of the first half 2022 Brewers is the Boring Bench Bunch. We spent uh, a lot of time brainstorming this name here before the podcast. Uh, made up of Jace Peterson, Mike Brasso, and Victor Caratini, players that we've all touched on. Uh, David, you mentioned Jace Peterson as your pick for the biggest surprise this year and, and talked about the success that he's had. Uh, really been probably the Brewers' best offensive hitter, which is a bit surprising not a bit very surprising and also a bit sad when you think about it but mike brasso in a, a smaller sample size has been very good he actually has the highest ops of the brewers uh, offense this year of course like i said much smaller of a sample size but brasso has been very very good didn't expect that from him victor caratini who who knows maybe he's the brewers everyday catcher in the second half of the season we'll see what uh happens with that caratini's been great brasso has been great peterson's been great uh, it certainly has been needed when you don't get the production from Christian Yelich that you were expecting. Hunter Renfro just having an okay year. Colton Wong not playing all that great. And Andrew McCutcheon hasn't been excellent either. So the Brewers bench has really stepped up and turned into what could it be, you know, I think we could be in a similar spot to the 2020 offense the Brewers had, where it was very, very lackluster, uh, gaping holes in the lineup. And having those guys step up has helped the Brewers to not really have a whole lot of holes in the lineup. It's still not an excellent offense, uh, but it's certainly a lot more deep of an offense than we had in 2020. So my most valuable uh, player or players is the boring bench bunch of Jace Peterson, Mike Brasso, and Victor Caratini today. So David, any other final thoughts here before we go through our trivia question? Um, yeah, I was kind of thinking about like what the Brewers' chances are of making the playoffs at this point. They are, I would say, kind of at a low point right now. And we've seen this before leading up to the All-Star break 2018. Think of that five-game sweep at the hands of the lowly Pittsburgh Pirates. Um, I would still say the Brewers probably have like a about a 60 to 65% chance of winning the division and maybe like a 75 to 80% chance of making the playoffs. Even though like watching this team doesn't really feel like a playoff team, but I feel like they're still going to get there. Yeah, I, I agree. I think the Brewers, I'm quite confident the Brewers will be in the playoffs. I, I don't have much question about whether they will be. And I really don't have too much of a question of whether they'll win the NL Central. 
Because when I look at the Brewers and where they are today, given the success that they've had, they haven't exactly had a lot of things go right. We highlighted some of the things that have gone right. Hobie Milner, Devin Williams, Jace Peterson, Mike Brasso, Victor Caratini. But also there's plenty of things that haven't gone right. Of course, Christian Yelich. Uh, Brandon Woodruff hasn't been all that great. Freddie Peralta's been out for a lot of the year. The starting rotation's been uh, injured all around for the most part. Josh Hader's uh, lack of success leading up to the All-Star break. The lack of punch in the Brewers' offense. We can go on. The Brewers have had a lot of things that haven't gone very well. And they're still sitting right atop near top that 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 top spot in the National League Central. So the Brewers, like I said, they don't I, I think it, they don't feel like that good of a team, but they are a pretty good team and I think they're not that far away from being uh, a a serious contender. I was touching on this uh, before we turned the mics on and recorded. Seems like there's a lot of good teams around baseball. The, the Yankees are on pace for well over 100 wins this year. Uh, they're probably the best team uh, so far this year, but the Dodgers are of course excellent. Astros continue uh, to be elite. The Mets finally are putting some things together. Braves, of course, coming off their World Series championship. You've got the Mariners, who have been hot. Padres. So I think all those teams are maybe excluding the Mariners, depending on how much you want to weight their streak. But uh, f- for sure, the six teams I mentioned there are, are probably better teams than the Brewers are currently. And so the Brewers need to make some additions at the deadline, I think, to be contenders for a World Series. In a series against the Dodgers, are the Brewers going to be favored? Of course not. But could the Brewers potentially steal a series from the Dodgers if they make some additions? I think they could. With the current state of the Brewers roster, do I really see them realistically stealing a series, an entire series from the Dodgers? That is a little bit hard to be seen. So uh, I'm optimistic the Brewers will make the playoffs, but without some, I would say, serious uh, or impactful moves at the deadline. I'm not sure I see the Brewers contending quite for the World Series like I was hoping they would be going into the year. So, yeah, I I would agree fully with that. Um, there, I think there are too many holes. They, I I would I would stop short of saying they resemble the 2020 team because that was pretty bad. But like, yeah, I they they don't feel like what we saw last year, and even last year's team was very flawed offensively, and we saw that happen in that short postseason series with Atlanta. Yeah, and that's what the Brewers could run into again, even before they maybe got up against a powerhouse team like the Dodgers. So we'll see how that continues to play out. David, let's circle back to our trivia question of the day or our second trivia question of the day related to the All-Star game. And that is, David, can you name the only two Brewer players to hit a home run in the All-Star game? Prince Fielder, I know in 2011 when he won All-Star Game, MVP did, and I'm almost positive it was Yelich in 18. Hit a solo shot in the eighth inning, I think. I don't have the inning of which he did that, but you are correct. Prince Fielder, 2011, also mentioning that Fielder was the All-Star Game MVP, and then Christian Yelich hitting a home run in 2018. So Ryan Braun, Robin Yount, Paul Molitor, none of those players ever hitting a home run in an All-Star Game, but Prince Fielder and Christian Yelich the only two players to do so uh, in All-Star Game history. So, David, with that, as we wrap up today, what is your stat of the day? Yeah, well, you had two trivia questions, so I I wanted to offset that with two stats of the day. The first one is the Brewers have three active starters who have made the All-Star team as a Brewer, being uh, Burns, Woodruff, and Peralta. Woodruff made his first appearance in 19, but prior to that, from 95 to 2018, a 24-year span covering um, really some 
some good years and some bad years. There were three combined between those 24 years or among those 24 years. Gallardo, Ben Sheets, and Chris Capuano. Sheets appearing in four different games. The other stat is the Brewers are 3-21 and in All-Star games since moving to the NL. 3-21-1, I should add, with the tie in 2002 in Milwaukee. And before they moved to the NL, they were 9-20. and So... Uh, the the AL couldn't win with the Brewers, and the NL can't win with the Brewers. So the Brewers are 12-41 and 41 all-time in all-star games. Um, I'm not really sure how that's happened. How is it not evened out over time, at least to some degree? Um, but I guess the Brewers maybe are doing something wrong, or uh, they have the, the clubhouse cancer that prevents their, their all-star team from, from playing well. Could you really blame the, the team that has had – one of the least amount of representatives too um, in the Brewers. I, I, the Brewers are certainly not the team that typically has three to five players there. So I'm not sure if you can blame the Brewers, but you would expect a sample size of over 40 games to uh, even out and regress as uh, analytics uh, love to say, uh, rather than three and 21 and nine and 20, but a very interesting factoid that you bring up there uh, regarding all-star game success and lack thereof the Brewers have had both in the American League and the National League. So we covered a lot today, David. Nine potential targets for the Brewers in the bullpen. We both agree Brewers need to make at least two additions and hopefully two meaningful ones. We'll see what the Brewers would have to dish out, whether that's Keston Hira, Colton Wong, even Omar Narvaez, or a slew of prospects, all that uh, and more. In the next couple of weeks, as we continue to approach the trade deadline, we will have you covered here with the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast. This is Peter and David Go signing off as always. Thank you for listening to the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast. Please take a moment to rate and review our show on whichever platform you're listening on. If you enjoyed it, consider supporting us through the link down below. See you next time.